0: in the basket at the Welcome Center to help us know uh, your needs and how we can minister to you or simply your presence here today is important to us. We're going to continue to worship by offering. Let's pray as we do that. Father, we thank you for your love for us. As we think today about what our earthly fathers do and have done for us, we are just awed by what you have done for us how you're steady and faithful, even when we're not, and you provide for us. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to to grow in faithfulness as well, and I pray we're doing just that, that as we grow in faithfulness, it'll be evident in our lifestyle, in the things we choose to do, participate in, the things that we choose to invest in. And Father, I pray as we grow in faithfulness that we'll invest in your kingdom, that you'll bless these offerings, whether they be money, whether they be time, whether they be energy. I, I pray, Father, that you, uh, you will grow us, and this is the fruit of our faithfulness we give to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, I was thinking this week, there's some things probably all fathers here. can I have some money? Those of you who are dads, you ever heard that one? I'm scared. You ever heard that one? Can you fix this? You ever heard that one? My my kids have learned not to ask me that because I can't fix anything. (laughs) You uh, think about those things and and I'm sure you've heard life is not fair. You ever heard that? Is life fair? I think it depends on your perspective. It doesn't seem so a lot of the time, does it? When you see people that, that appear to be only about themselves and, and are nasty and kind of hostile and greedy and selfish, you see them thrive and, and flourish. You see them seemingly blessed certainly not punished for their actions which are antisocial. It doesn't seem fair. And then you see people that, that are trying to do the right things from all apparent purposes, that are that are trying to make the right choices in life and and it seems like one bad thing after another happens to them. It doesn't seem sometimes that life is fair. But I, I think it depends on our perspective. We've come in the study of only God, the story of God working in the life of Elijah and Elisha. We've come to this uh, curious narrative in 1 Kings 21. And we're going to see as this story unfolds that, that God is working even though it seems that he's not. And we're going to see what God thinks about is life fair or not in this story. And and I think and I hope it will give us encouragement today if we are trying to live the way God wants us to live. And I hope it gives us pause for repentance. It challenges us if we're not living the way God wants us to, that, that we would change that after this day. There are four characters in this story that we're going to talk about. And we're going to really look at First Kings 21, but We'll be talking about what happens in 1 Kings 22 and and 2 Kings 9. The the span of this story is about 25 years. But the four characters we are going to see are Naboth is the first one. The only place he's really mentioned in the Bible is right here. He had the bad fortune of being next door to Ahab and Jezebel's summer palace in Jezreel. And he had a nice vineyard. But even more, you need to know about Naboth that he was a man of God. He was a man who continued to worship the Lord and and didn't water his faith down to also worship Baal, the Baals that Ahab and Jezebel had brought in to the holy people of God, the holy people of Israel, the northern tribe. You see, Naboth was one of the 7,000 that refused to bow to Baal. He was a faithful man. He respected God's word. And he lived out his faith, even when it put him into peril. The second character is ahab. we've already met him. we've been talking about him, uh, a king of Israel, uh, someone who knew better, someone who was challenged in the rest of the law that he knew to, to always uphold the law of God, and to put God first, to love him with all that he had. Yet Ahab had learned to Worship Baal and had brought the worship of Baals into the people of God's land. And because of that, the Bible says he did more evil than all the kings that had come before him. Perhaps that is on Ahab. Perhaps it also is because of his weakness, of his vulnerability to give his heart to Jezebel, the third character. You know, uh, we were talking in the, the room before we came out about different names that that children have. And I've never known a child named Jezebel. Nobody wants to name their child Jezebel. And with good reason. Jezebel was a pagan. Jezebel married Ahab. She came from what is southern Lebanon. And apparently she was the one that wore the pants in the family. Ahab was the king. But Ahab did whatever Jezebel wanted him to do. And Jezebel led Israel to a place where ultimately they would be judged. They would be decimated. They would be no more. And the fourth character is also one we've met, Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite. This rough kind of ready guy that, that, from the mountains of Gilead. Uh, this uh, man who would come and appear out of nowhere and then disappear all the same. A man who had a strong faith, a man who was bold and courageous, a man who would speak the truth even if it brought him into peril. This is our friend Elijah. So the unfolding of the story uh, kind of goes like this. We see the start of it in First Kings uh, 21. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. What was asked there was that Ahab wanted the vineyard that was next to his palace. He looked upon it and and saw that it was it was beautiful. And he, he said, I want this land for myself, which was completely within his right to ask for the land. And he didn't want just to want to take it. He he asked for this land. And and he said, I would exchange it for any piece of property, even one that's far more valuable. Completely within Ahab's right. He hasn't done anything wrong to this point. He goes to Naboth with a business proposition. Let's swap plots. I'd love to have this plot, Ahab says, for my royal garden right next to my palace. But Naboth says, the Lord forbid that I should give you this land. It actually was a law. We'll see in a minute. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. That's really king-like behavior, isn't it? What it says is he had a royal pout did Ahab. He lays on his bed, he goes home and pouts. (laughs) His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered, because I said to Naboth, the the Israelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. In other words, like we're giving him a surprise party. This is in his honor. This is, this is going to be to, to congratulate, to, to, to give Naboth a prominent place, seemingly to give him honor. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth is cursed, O God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Life. Doesn't seem fair, does it? And with the direction, at the leading of his wife, Jezebel, you see why she's regarded as evil. She cocks up this devious plan and is fraudulently representing the king by writing to these officials. In this court, in this legal system, is there any justice? No, because of the witness. The false witness of two, because of the false witness of two, this good man is killed. We find out later in 2 Kings 9 that his sons are killed as well. And therefore, the vineyard that is covetously wanted by Ahab, it reverts to him because there are no living uh, heirs to take it. So Ahab doesn't trade for it. With Jezebel's machinations, he gets it. Without paying for it, what happens? You know, it's been probably three years since Elijah has been heard from. In that time, the Syrian army has, they're vastly superior militarily, have been defeated by providential help. They've been defeated by Ahab and the Israelite army. And Elijah is told to arise as you go through down later in 1 Kings 21. He said, Arise and go to Jezreel, go to Ahab's vineyard, and go there, and you speak to him, and you tell him this. This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, This is what the Lord says in the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood. Dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Uh, Ahab thinks, He's one. He's happy for a moment. So also those who do what God doesn't want them to do, those who, who seize property, those who get ahead by illicit means, so they perhaps have fleeting glimpses of joy and glory. But friends, there is always a price to pay for actions that are ungodly. There's always a price to pay. And not always is in physical consequences. Not always is it in legal consequences. I would suggest to you that always, if we do things the, the cheap way, if we do things the unfair way, if we do things the illegal way, I believe that it has an impact upon our self-conception. I think it has an impact on our emotional well-being. I think it has an impact on the way that we view the world. And, and that exact thing is coming here The judgment of God is coming. Ahab says, so Sue, you found me, my enemy. I have found you, Elijah says, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. In Hebrew, that verb there to sell yourself or that's used for sold yourself, it also can mean to marry. Elijah says, you have married evil. And he doesn't mean just Jezebel. I think he's saying, you have joined yourself You have given yourself to evil. You've lost in your own mind, you've lost in your own heart the battle of doing good or evil. The battle of doing what God wants you to do or what yourself, your flesh wants you to do. You've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Elijah says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. He's speaking for God. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. That is, he's going to end his house much as he ended the house of Naboth. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Baasha son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. It's not only Ahab's sin that's the problem, it's also that he's led the people of Israel astray by his Marrying of Jezebel, by Ahab and Jezebel's leading of the people, allowing false gods to not only be present but to be glorified in this land, in the land of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He also has caused Israel to sin by creating this atmosphere where a man, innocent man, can be stoned because of the lies of a couple of people. And also concerning Jezebel, Elijah tells Ahab, the Lord says dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. Now, I know those perhaps are unpleasant words to read, but judgment does come. What is it that he did so wrong, Ahab? He asked Naboth to do something that he... God forbids him to do. Numbers 36, 7 says, No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. Every person had a choice to make in their day and in our day. Am I going to honor the words, the will of God, or am I going to honor my own will, what I want, or am I going to honor the ways of the world? And Naboth makes a choice to honor God. Ahab doesn't care. He does what he wants to do. He makes that choice. And he thinks he gets away with it. But Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. It doesn't say God immediately brings consequences for every evil or good action, does it? But it says his eyes are everywhere, constantly keeping watch over the wicked and the good it's a bad thing. You know, perhaps you were like me when you were a kid, a little mischievous, and you thought you'd got away with things. it amaze you how, omnip- how omniscient your parents seem to be? You'd think you got away with something, and you'd uh, even try to, if they asked you, if they called you to account, you'd even try to get out of it by, by stretching it out, and then, no, 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 I know. I know what you've done. Well, our parents weren't omniscient. <laughs> they didn't know everything we'd done. Maybe you got away with some stuff. But i tell you this, God is at a whole other level than our earthly parents. When it says his eyes are everywhere, keeping watch on everything, we can trust that it is so. And when God says through Elijah that there will be judgment, Ahab it is so now, the response of Ahab is admirable. It says he, he, he started mourning, he put on sackcloth, and he started grieving over his actions, over what he had done, and, and it, because of his reaction, uh, God relents for a little while, about three years. God says, "I won't bring this judgment right now, but it still will come." And so you turn the page to first kings twenty two and you see how the battle has come again between the Syrian army and the army of Israel. But the army of Israel, uh, Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to join him in this battle, to, to unite with him. And he, uh, he says to Jehoshaphat, you, you go ahead and dress like a king in this battle, but I'm, I'm going to be with the common men and with the army. I, I'm, I, because I, I need to be back with them, I'm going to dress like one of them. You see, Ahab has a sense that God's judgment is going to come because Elijah has prophesied it, and whatever Elijah has said before comes to be. And so Ahab disguises himself as just one of the common army. Do you know that it says that in 1 Kings 22, toward the end of the chapter, you can read this later, it says that as the armies came together, a random archer, in the Syrian army, shoots an arrow. And it just happens to go between the armor of what looks to be a common soldier, Ahab, and pierces him fatally. A one in a million shot. You think that happened by coincidence? I think not. And it says that Ahab stayed on the battlefield in his chariot, his blood leaked down into the chariot, Later, his servant took him home, at which point he had expired, and he had this dirty, bloody chariot. They took his body and and went to wash out the chariot in the same place where Naboth had perished. Some 20 years pass. You turn all the way over to 2 Kings 9, and you see a new man is on the throne. His name is Jehu. Jehu is kind of rough, he's uncouth, but he also is determined to honor God. He's not going to bow to the pressures of the gods around him or or give them any kind of hearing. And it says Jehu goes to Jezreel, where Jezebel still is the power in north of Israel. And it says that Jezebel hears of him coming, she paints her eyes, which if you look other places in the Old Testament, Basically, it means she prepares herself to seduce him. She gets ready to, to work her evil charms on Jehu. Jehu greets her. She greets him. But Jehu says one thing. He says, who is on her side? And several the eunuchs, it said, the people who served Jezebel all this time the people who probably had been mistreated by Jezebel we don't know for sure it says that they heard in that a challenge they heard that if they chose Jehu they were to do what he says and and Jehu said throw her down and he throws her down and the bible says that the horses trampled her afoot that is god's judgment came upon her now this is a gory story but i think also think it is a powerful illustrative story and stories from scripture always have meaning they always have morals so what are the morals of this story the first is this that god's does god's patience does not last forever god's patience does not last forever yes god is long-suffering and God is patient, but his patience does not last forever. 2 Second, Second Peter rather, uh, three nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If today you're here and you haven't given your heart to the Lord yet, uh, his patience has been good to you. For me... His patience was good for me because it took me a while to figure out the love of God. It took me a while to figure out the justice of God. God does love us tremendously. That's why he sent Jesus for us. You remember uh, several years ago when they would do NFL games on TV, inevitably there'd be a guy with this crazy haired wig that would hold up a John 316 sign. Y'all remember that? Some of you are older. If not, look on YouTube. You see the John 3.16 guy? It always was John 3.16, and and I understand that. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but might have everlasting life. Everybody wants to hear God is love. But two verses later, it says this. Whoever believes in him, John 3, 18, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, the reason life seems not fair is because God is patient. God is merciful. He wants all of us to hear. He wants all of us to repent. He wants all of us to believe. He wants all of us to come to him and to do and live our life his way and not our way. But make no mistake, God does judge. And those who don't believe will be condemned. That leads me to my second moral. God still needs Elijah to stand up for him. He still needs Elijahs to stand up for him. People to speak up for him even when it's unpopular. People to speak up for him when somebody in their life Somebody that we love, somebody close to us is, is doing things the wrong way. He needs us to, to bring the truth in grace to bear in that situation. Maybe today the application for you is that there's somebody you need to, to speak to with love and with grace in your life, but also with truth and say, this is going to bring negative consequences. This is not going to end well. You need to hear the truth because I love you. So if we don't believe, the application is to believe. If we have people around us who are are doing things the wrong way, we need to speak to them. But also it's a personal application. Maybe today we have things in our life that are hidden, things in our life that we've done and we've not taken care of, we've not repented of. We've not dealt with. Make no mistake, the third moral is this. We reap what we sow. We will reap what we sow. Galatians 6 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Sounds like Ahab and Jezebel, doesn't it? Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal destruction life, eternal life, that is life forever, but I also think that scripture teaches us that there will be blessings, there will be blessings like the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will be evident in your life, your life here is going to be better if you reap the fruit, if you sow the fruit of the seeds of the Spirit. That's what we need to hear today, perhaps, to turn us from the way we've been living. Perhaps today God has been patient with bringing justice to you. But today we can choose to confess and repent. We need to do that. For Hosea 8 7 is true of all of us as well. They sow the wind does Hosea the prophet, say, and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head, it will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. What he's saying is, sowing the wind brings the consequence of the whirlwind. Acts some 400 years ago, there was a man, a preacher named Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was regarded as a loose cannon, he would, he would speak and preach bold things, even in the face and the hearing of the king. The king of England at that time was King Henry. And one time, Latimer went to preach where King Henry was in the congregation. Uh, king Henry was kind of nervous about what Latimer would say. He really didn't want a confrontation. But the same wasn't true of Latimer. He preached, and at one point in his sermon, he said, out loud like he was talking to himself Latimer, Latimer be careful Uh, the king is listening and he went on to say Latimer, Latimer be careful the king of kings is listening ultimately Hugh Latimer ended up burned at the stake a martyr for the gospel he understood a very real truth That life is fair when you consider it in the eyes of God. Life is fair when you consider it over the course of a lifetime. Life is fair when you know that whatever seeds you sow will come up one day. It might seem as if they're delayed. It might seem as if the evil prosper. It might seem as if the good suffer but in the viewpoint and the perspective of eternity. Those good seeds bear much fruit. And the bad seeds produce judgment. Father, as we think about these things today, even in this old narrative, we can learn. I pray we're encouraged if we are, are seeking to live the way you want us to live and and yet we, we don't feel like there's fruit, we can know, Father, that it will come up. That if we're faithful, you will honor us. Ultimately with eternal life. But even more with your, the blessing of being close to you. Perhaps it's a challenge for us to, to hear this story today. Maybe we've not had somebody executed or, or stolen their land, but we have done some things that, that are ugly in your sight, some things that perhaps have hurt others. Let us today confess and repent. As best we can, help us to unsow those evil seeds thank you, Father, that you forgive us if we come to you in faith. I thank you that you can take our lemons and make lemonade out of them. I pray today, Father, that we would consider what you're trying to teach us and we would respond in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.